0: No matter how much you keep up with the secular news, it's those who read and study the Bible who really understand what state our world is in. Today in this Prophecy Update, I want to address at least three issues. First of all, troublesome trends within the churches, including mockery of the Second Coming. Secondly, we'll look at prophetic developments regarding the nation of Israel And finally, I want to address surviving and thriving in the midst of sickness. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom. I'm Christine Darg. We keep hearing from many quarters in the evangelical churches about the soon coming great move of God, the coming great move of God. While all evangelicals should strive for revivals to top up what Jesus referred to as the fullness of the Gentiles in the church age, we should also keep in mind that Jesus rebuked his generation for not correctly reading the signs of the times. Yes, I do believe a great revival is coming, but I believe Scripture teaches that the greatest harvest of souls, a multitude that no man could number, will happen during the great tribulation period as prophesied in Revelation 7, 9. And that verse declares, After this I beheld in lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands." Evangelicals continually prophesy about the coming glory of the Lord, and yes, the glory of the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth, but not until the millennium when Jesus returns to rule from Jerusalem for a 1,000 years. When Jesus returns to rule, that's when the knowledge and glory of the Lord will cover this earth, and thankfully Satan will be bound for a 1,000 years. Concerning the present mindset of people, the Apostle Peter wrote that, in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For all things have continued exactly as they did from the beginning of creation. This means the previously revered doctrine of the second coming will receive special ridicule in the last days, and the ridicule won't come only from the secular world. What's especially disheartening is that the mockery also comes from within the institutional churches, Although this betrayal is tragic, we shouldn't be surprised because the Apostle Paul also wrote in 2 Timothy 4.3 that the time will come, and the time has come, when church people will not endure sound doctrine, but craving to have their ears tickled, he said, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in line with their own desires, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and we will turn aside to myths. Well, I looked up both the Greek and the Amplified Bible concerning this verse, and this word myths means man-made fictions. Well, isn't that current? There are some tall tales being spun for the gullible, especially on the Internet. And so professing believers will accept the unacceptable and chase after religious fads and fanciful spiritual stories. People just won't have a stomach for solid doctrinal food. Instead, they'll fill up on spiritual junk food. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase after mirages. But you, the Bible admonishes you and me to accept the hard times and keep being God's servants. Now, please hear me carefully. I believe in the visionary realm. I believe in the New Testament gift of prophecy and we have to be very discerning and astute and not be starstruck by everybody who claims to be speaking for God. In fact, the internet has become a dangerous net of all sorts of folly. People draw others to themselves by claiming titles like apostle and prophet and they trade in grandiose visions of their latest dream, sometimes going into very laborious details, much longer in detail than any that I've read by the biblical prophets. And astonishingly, they can do this almost on a weekly basis. The reason there's so much teaching today about trips to heaven and visions of a worldwide revival It's because that's what people crave to hear. In Jeremiah 5.31, God said, The prophets prophesy falsely, and my people love to have it so. And in this regard, human nature hasn't changed. The success of the tickling ears prophets is due to their appeal to popular messages. Earnest people like to believe that the world is growing better and better all the time. Although the Apostle Paul prophesied in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, I received a letter from a woman in the UK who was not paying sufficient attention to the signs of the times. And this woman wanted to straighten me out for believing in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. She wrote that God is about to pour out His glory upon the whole earth, and so He couldn't possibly be planning to rapture His bride away. In other words, she was not anticipating the imminent appearing of Jesus. But historically, the church has always taught that a believer's desire should be related to the return of Jesus. That desire, or lack of desire, is a spiritual barometer. If a bride is not looking forward to seeing her bridegroom, the fervency of her love can be questioned. Well, this correspondent had compiled for me many prophecies by various apostles and prophets that Britain is soon going to be covered with the glory of God. Another claiming to be a prophet said, everything is about to change suddenly. We're moving into a season of suddenlies. Well, the suddenlies of God has become a platitude in standard prophetic words. I hope I don't sound jaded. I do believe in the gift of prophecy, and I've been blessed by it many times. And I also prophesy. But the content of many prophecies indicates that the people prophesying are not correctly dividing God's word. In fact, a major wake-up call for the church is the reemergence of the state of Israel. We're living in the midst of prophecies being fulfilled before our eyes concerning the nation of Israel, and according to Daniel 9.27, the event that will begin the seven-year tribulation period is going to be a peace treaty between Antichrist and Israel. And then in the midst of this seven-year period, he will stop the sacrifices in a rebuilt temple The fact that according to a new court ruling, Jews can now pray on the Temple Mount is another step closer to these prophetic events coming to pass. And soon a deal will be made for the third temple to be raised up. And this all indicates the rapture of the church is very near. Thankfully, many believers are aware of God's timing that the rapture is soon. Just as in the days of the prophet Elijah, the people knew that Elijah was about to be translated to heaven. In 2 Kings chapter 2, and verse 11, as Elijah and his protege Elisha were walking and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, separating the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. But Elisha was not the only eyewitness to this rapture event. We're told in 2 Kings 2, 7, that 50 of the sons of the prophets stood opposite them at a distance. So there were actually 51 witnesses to the rapture of Elijah. Elijah knew it was coming by the spirit of revelation. Elisha also knew about the pending rapture. As noted frequently in 2 Kings chapter 2. Also many others in the vicinity knew by the spirit of revelation that God was coming to collect Elijah. The prophetic college at Bethel had been divinely forewarned of Elijah's departure. According to Second 2 Kings 2:3, 2, members of the guild of the sons of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know the Lord will take away your master today? And Elisha said, Yes, I know, be still. Or as some translations put it, hold your peace. You see, Elisha was expectantly watching as if holding his breath. And so he said, hush, he was on pins and needles. And the commentaries indicate that he didn't want to chatter about something so sacred. He was saying, let me watch and don't suppose you're wiser than anyone else. Be a little modest and a little reticent. Well, prophetic people in Jericho were also aware of what was going to happen. At Jericho, as well as at Bethel, there was a school of the prophets, although the two places were not more than about 20 miles apart. This suggests the existence of a large number of prophetic seminaries at this period. And in 2 Kings 2.5, the sons of the prophets at Jericho also asked Elisha, Do you know the Lord will take away your master today? And again, Elisha answered, Yes, I know. Be still. So the Bible tells us that whole multitudes of people knew Elijah was about to depart the earth. And true prophetic people today are also very aware that the Lord will come in the clouds to evacuate the righteous from the earth. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Messiah will be the first to rise. After that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the resurrected dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, Paul said, encourage one another with these words. Furthermore, in Matthew 24, Jesus admonished us to learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So when you see all of these things, the fig tree nation, Israel, begin to happen, recognize that the Lord is coming soon, and let's not be apathetic about His appearing. It's strange to me that many people in the churches don't seem to care whether or not the Lord is coming back. Whenever my husband goes anywhere, I always want to know when he's coming back. Wouldn't it seem strange to my family and friends if I didn't care when he was coming home? Well, the emergence of the biblical nation of Israel is the super sign of God that the church age is getting ready to wrap up the rapture is imminent and the prophesied tribulation is about to begin. I thank the Lord for his faithfulness in regathering Israel. And this is because he doesn't change even when we're unfaithful. He remains faithful to his word. But even now the nations are coming into alignment against Israel, exactly as the prophet Ezekiel predicted. Presently, There's no Western government dealing with Israel in a worthy biblical manner. Most Western leaders claim that they're friends of Israel, yet they pressure Israel to divide God's land to create another terrorist state. Western pressure on Israel makes those leaders a greater danger than Islamic nations who openly express hatred and their desire to destroy Israel. While Israel would never listen to Iranian or Hezbollah demands, Israel does struggle when responding to the unbiblical demands of the West, especially from America, the UK, and the European Union. The main reason why Western nations will bear God's end-time judgments is found in Joel chapter 3, verses 1-2, to 2, where God says, For behold, in those days when I bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, And that's what we're seeing today. God says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat means the Lord is judge. And God says, I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered amongst the nations and they have divided my land. So God clearly says it's his land they've divided. And this is the major issue that brings the wrath of God on the world in the tribulation period. The desire among the nations to divide Israel's land is setting the stage for biblical proportion judgments. I pray the Lord will anoint the eyes of many believers to see the world through the filter of this word and to understand that God has a biblical principle that he will bless or curse according to how a nation treats Israel. We pray in this ministry for the Lord to enable the church to stand in the gap for our nations, pleading for mercy, specifically in relation to how our nations are pushing Israel into an unbiblical and ungodly direction. Let those in the churches who struggle with the fact that there is a Jewish state now and who struggle with the Jews' biblical right to the land let them see that these issues line up with God's determined end-time purposes. So we pray for courage and strength for those who perceive this biblical truth to be willing to speak out. As we continually hear the death threats coming against Israel from Iran's leaders, we know that the Bible predicts God will arise and answer them in such a way that they and the rest of the world will know That Israel's God is God. We're praying for all professing believers to be stripped from any vestiges of anti-semitism. Meanwhile, miraculously, the Spirit of God is stirring up the Jews, especially in the West, with a desire to come home. The process is called making Aliyah, a word that means to ascend up to the land. Amazingly, since the start of the coronavirus outbreak, about 40,000 Jews have returned home to Israel. Considering the hardships, the quarantines, and the balagan, that's a Hebrew word for chaos and bureaucracy. Yes, despite the balagan associated with the virus, that number, 40,000 returning to Israel, is an amazing corporate exploit. Millions of Jews, however, still live in exile even though God proclaimed that a day will come when not one of his people will remain outside the borders of Israel. Intercessors for Israel are asking God to remove from the Jews in the diaspora fear of change and replace that fear with a love for adventure and an understanding of the privilege of being able to participate in the fulfillment of prophetic history by making Aliyah As prophesied in Isaiah chapter 43 and so many other verses, Israelis living in exile are becoming homesick. And as the anti Semitic hunters become more violent, many Jews are simply unable to ignore or misinterpret the signs of the times. Okay, now I want to take up the third topic in today's broadcast learning to keep our faith strong to survive and thrive in the midst of sickness, threats of pandemics, epidemics, plagues, pestilences as prophesied and so forth. We stand in all of the supernatural protection of Psalm 91, which speaks of immunity and shielding for those who dwell in the secret place of the watch care of the Almighty. We rejoice in knowing that Even when sometimes we feel deflated and confused, like the disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus, the Lord is never far from us, and in fact, He walks with us. He's in us, and He guides us continually. We often need to just trust the Lord, whether we understand what He's doing or not. But this we do know, nothing takes the Lord by surprise, and He is setting the stage for His soon return. We take comfort knowing that, no matter what happens—a coronavirus, the rise in anti-Semitism, economic shakings—the Lord is working out all of His purposes, as He stated in Isaiah forty-two nine. Now I declare new things; before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. People usually only pray for healing when they become sick, but If you learn to pray before you become sick, it's a form of preventative medicine to believe to live in the Lord's divinely provided health. In these perilous times, we have to shake off all apathy and actively seek God's preservation power for his miraculous intervention in our lives. When I look up to the cross, I can thank the Lord Jesus that He took my infirmities and carried away my sin and sickness. And the Bible says by his stripes we were healed. So, legally speaking, we were actually healed 2,000 years ago. We've been healed through the Lord's atoning death and sacrifice. Divine health is part and parcel of the atonement. And Yeshua the Messiah has already paid the price for our healing and for mankind's sin. And sickness often I say to myself almost daily or whenever it comes to mind thank you Lord for another day of health and the Lord appreciates gratitude so my friend who do you call on for help in your infirmities who is your healer who is the sustainer of your life only the Lord truly heals us of our sicknesses and diseases we may sometimes take medicines and visit doctors And the Lord may choose to use them as instruments of physical healing. But in the end, it's the Lord alone who is our ultimate healer and deliverer. I will heal thee of thy wounds is a Bible promise, which could not come from the lips of a man, but only from the mouth of God. The Bible teaches that the Messiah has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us on the cross. For thus it is written in the Torah, Cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. So Jesus was divinely cursed on our behalf by hanging on the tree as a substitute for our sins. The cross is sometimes referred to as a tree, as, for example, stated three times in sermons in the Acts of the Apostles. Under the Mosaic law, execution was mainly by stoning but those who were hanged on a tree were divinely cursed. The law made it illegal to leave a body hanging overnight. This law applied to Jesus, although he had done no wrong. Jesus' corpse was removed from the tree on the same day of his death and buried. Jesus took the curse of sin upon himself to redeem us from sin and disease. So you see, trees are associated with cursing and blessing in the Bible. A tree was involved in the entry of sin into humanity in the Garden of Eden in the beginning. Secondly, the answer to sin for humanity was established through Messiah's tree of life, his atonement on the cross. And throughout eternity, the redeemed will eat from a third tree, the tree of life in heaven. When I look to the cross of Jesus, I'm able to strengthen my faith. The Word of God says through Messiah, I have become the righteousness of God because the righteousness of Jesus has been imparted to me by faith. So if Satan comes with his sickness package, we must say, Devil, I don't receive your package. I refuse to sign for it at the door of my heart. I won't accept your package of sickness and temptation, whatever the case may be because every day I'm renewing my mind by meditating on God's Word. We have to spend our days in the attitude and mood of prayer and watchfulness. Well, Pastor David yong Cho, the Korean pastor who founded the world's largest church, recently died at age 85. He popularized the idea of cell groups, which are basically house churches. He reasoned that house groups and apartment groups are the key to discipleship and to fostering healthy connections of fellowship, something a large church could never give by itself. Pastor Cho also promoted prayer and healing as essential to dynamic church growth. Pastor Cho's life radically changed at age 17 when tuberculosis sent him to the hospital coughing up blood. As a Buddhist, he had been taught that he must suffer to become enlightened through hardship. But Jesus offered him an alternative. Jesus offered eternal salvation and divine healing. Pastor Cho was led to the Lord by a female evangelist, and he never forgot that. He empowered many women as cell group leaders in Korea and Japan. He was given a Bible by a persistent high school girl who came to his house day after day, asking him to read the Bible. But it took getting deathly sick for Cho to receive the Lord. In his extremity, he decided to reach out to the Christian God. And he wrote in his memoir, as a last resort, I decided to call upon the God I didn't know. I cried out. He said, God, I want to live. Help me. He was cured of tuberculosis and gave the glory to God. And his legacy to the body of Messiah is the power of prayer. That was his greatest influence. He was a man devoted to praying with a do or die desperateness. He once famously said, you can remove the preaching in our church will still continue. You could remove the pastoral care through the cell groups in our church might still survive. But if he remove the prayer life, our church, he said, would collapse. Pastor Cho once observed, we find empty pews in many European churches. And why? The reason, he said, is that those churches have betrayed, have abandoned the Holy Spirit. But in these desperate times, you and I are not going to betray the Holy Spirit. Let's acknowledge that God wants us to be healthy spiritually and physically. He also wants to give us hope to persevere and to prevail over sickness and difficult times. It's critical to keep faith that God has good intentions and that he works all things together for good for those who are the called according to his purposes. So my friend, now is not the time to be harboring secret sins or playing games with God. Jesus is coming in soon, and this is the hour for the church to awaken from its sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Please say with me what the Bible declares. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Amen. If you have any comments or questions, let's have a chat through social media or at our website, exploits.tv. And don't forget, to download our free Jerusalem Channel app for access to all of our shows in our video library. We also offer many eBooks available at our website on a variety of important subjects, and so until our next time together, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. I'm Christine Dark, Maranatha.